Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another amazing episode of Amazing Business Radio, and we have a very exciting guest for you today. Daniel Rodriguez of Simpler is going to be joining us. Before we start, a few quick things, announcements, whatever you want to call them. If you've got an amazing story you'd like to share or a question you'd like to have answered, all you need to do is reach out to any of the social media channels like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You know where they are. I'm there. If it's a question, use hashtag AskShep. And I'll either answer the questions there in this show or on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, C-Suite, uh, different uh, Roku. We've got it on Roku. And now YouTube, first entire season, plus a few more episodes are now on YouTube at beamazing.tv. So with that in mind, let's jump into our interview today, which is with Daniel Rodriguez, who is the CMO of Simpler, and that's S-I-M-P-L-R. Not only is he uh, the CMO, he's an entrepreneur, he's a family man, and he's a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. Daniel, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Thank you so much, Shep, for having me. I'm a fan. So this is a, this is a, a, a real treat for me as well to be able to do this. We're going to have some fun today. I know that we prepped last week for this episode and talking about uh, upcoming, uh, like in, if you're listening to this the week the show comes out, you should know that on November 10th, we're going to have a virtual event. We're going to be talking more about some of these concepts we're going to talk about today. And if and, and all you need to do, well, you can get the information by going to the show notes. And even if you're listening to this after November 10th, come back to the show notes. The link will be there. Uh, so keep an eye out for it. It's going to be great. We're going to be talking about a great topic. And that's what we're going to talk about today, eradicating mediocrity. I love that. That's 10 syllables in two words, eradicating mediocrity, especially as it applies to customer service and experience. Before we get into that, Daniel, a little bit about yourself. Now, I see a guitar in the background. We talked about that uh, last week. I had to put you know that you've there. Got, yeah, I had yeah. to put that there for you. I was inspired by how you have it in the background. Oh, yeah, my guitar is in the back. Yeah, so I had to throw that back there. <laughs> So we know you love to play guitar. You're a family man. You've got a wife and two or three children. Three children, yeah. Three children, young children too. Yep, yet nine, seven, and three. Wow, you're very busy, not getting a lot of sleep. <laughs> so, and also you're the CMO at Simpler. What does Simpler do? Simpler is on a mission to end good enough customer service. And so what, good enough is not good enough. Good enough is not good enough. And I put good enough in quotes for those who are listening and not seeing, which is everybody probably um, good enough, right? Because, because we think that um, what we're seeing out there in the world is uh, that the, the customer expectation has evolved and changed so quickly that we are unaware that we are failing our customers left and right. And so we think we're doing good enough, but the reality is 
there's a lot of ice underneath that iceberg with our customers and and we are at major risk right now i think as brands you know with our customers of of letting them down and and losing them and so we as a company we are on a mission to end good enough customer service and turn your would be haters and detractors into five star fans Oh, wow. So the follow-up question to this is, how do you do that? Sure. I mean, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to go into an extraordinary amount of detail here um, in, this, in this call about how, but I will tell you that, you know, when we look at the landscape of the way that companies are doing customer service, I think there is an expectation at this point that you are utilizing AI and technology in the best cutting edge way, and that you have a human element to what you are doing with your customers. If you just think that technology alone is the solution to interacting with your customers, well, you haven't been a customer of a, <laughs> yourself and gone and had some really disappointing interactions just with technology. So, 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 so people, yeah. So, right. So, so we, we fundamentally believe that you need to be having the best people and you need to have the best technology. And we believe that we are bringing the combination of those two things to the market in a, in a really fundamentally unique way. Cool. So uh, there's my head is swarming with a couple of thoughts and ideas. Good enough is not good enough. I love that. Uh, you said that we are letting our customers down and we don't even know it. Use the iceberg analogy, which you know, you see the iceberg at the tip, you know, the tip of the iceberg is what you see floating above the water, but underneath is this ginormous amount of ice that you never see. So tell me how you see that metaphor playing into this. Certainly. I mean, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have um, is that we make projections as, you know, as, as CX leaders, we project onto our entire customer base what our CSAT score is, right? So we look at CSAT, we mm. pray at the altar to CSAT, and we have a 4.3 out of 5, for instance, on, on CSAT. And, and we think we are doing well, we think we're doing okay. And we forget that oftentimes, we're only looking at 20 to 30% of our customer picture. Right? Because and they aren't responding to the surveys yeah. or we're not we're not getting enough detail. What's what's the reason we're only seeing twenty or thirty percent? Oh yeah, I mean I think that um, it's it because that customers are not all of our customers or our prospective customers are not filling out our CSATs, right? The survey right. itself. Um, so so it's because of that. Even single question customer satisfaction surveys don't get the type of engagement that we really would need to make an overall globalized projection of how our customers are doing. We take what we have and then we project it out there as if it's a beacon of light that's shining the truth onto all of our customers when in fact, it's really dark out there and we yeah. don't really know. So I know that when it comes to surveys, so many times, depending upon the type of business, the people that fill out the surveys for those companies, they love it. They want, oh, I want to make sure this person gets the recognition they deserve. And then there's these, I hate them. I'm going to let them know how much I hate them. And then there's this huge group in the middle that has very little interaction with us, which, um, 
Do you have a suggestion on how to get feedback from everybody? Well, I, that is, that, that's a great question. It, it is really difficult, I think. The more questions you have, the harder it is. Yeah. Right. So I would, you know, I, the first thing I would just say is, is, is simplify what you're actually trying to, to get feedback on. Um, yep. But I think that um, in the absence, in the absence of there being a great way to actually capture the sentiment, I think it's more important that we actually look at what are these groupings of customers? What are the behaviors that, that exist within that, you called it, you know, that, that gray area in the middle, we could, we, we could also think about this more vertically in a, in this iceberg analogy that we were talking about, we could think about it as, well, what is, what is beneath the surface? Right, but that I we're would, not seeing. Right, yeah, but we're not seeing, but before we even go there, I think it's really fundamentally important that we, that we talk about, um, that we talk about this shift with customers, because I am angry. I am, I am actually angry and I am angry at Amazon <laughs> and I will, okay. tell you, and I will tell you why, because Amazon has screwed me up just a few years ago. I was not so impatient, petulant. I was not so unwilling to wait for things in my life. And then Amazon rolled out Amazon Prime Now, which has become much more widely available in cities in the United States earlier this year. It's been around for a couple of years, but the very wide availability, this is really a 2020 phenomenon that we're actually talking about here with Amazon Prime Now. This idea that someone can not only interact with your brain. Now, now I'm really speaking the e-commerce language here, but that, that someone can not only interact with your company and get responses and make purchases, but can also then have the completion of the entirety of the, of the thing. They get the physical thing within hours of starting that interaction with your brand. That shatters the notion that I am going to be okay with waiting a day or two to get the response to the question that I had about that piece of jewelry that I wanted to buy, or that it's okay that when I am shopping in the evening, I can then wait until tomorrow to actually get the response because that chat that I sent in was yeah. not actually there. And then the bot tells me to send an email and they will then get back to me the next day, right? This is kind of how it currently is for many companies. They they are they are kind of in a previous assumption of a customer's willingness to wait. And and I think that we are at, as they said in the iconic movie Spaceballs, we oh, are. Oh yeah, of cultural are, culturally iconic. Culturally great iconic. philosopher. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are at now now. Right. But, but I actually, I, I really, I say that jokingly, but I, I really believe that I think we're at this, this inflection point where the customer, we've talked about the kind of the customer is in charge, you know, people have recognized that, but I think that we are at a tipping point where the now customer of which I am one and of which it does, you don't need to be a certain age. It is a, it is a mentality. It's a, it's a yep. shopping mentality that is now happening. I think it's cutting across huge swaths of customers and we're going out and getting getting some survey data to just figure out exactly how 
broad this goes, but we hypothesize that it cuts across young people, people that are in their 40s and 50s, and also seniors and people that you wouldn't necessarily think are going to be so impatient. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And that is the, I think, genesis of then why there is such a large iceberg underneath the water for a lot of brands because of the risk that the now customer poses. Right. I think, uh, and we're going to take a break in a moment, but my comment there is, you know, for years I've been preaching, customers aren't comparing you to your competition anymore. They're comparing you to the best service they've ever received. And many people, if you ask them, what's your favorite company to do business with? The easiest, you know, who do you love? They'll say Amazon. And hey, uh, I love the way you said that, you know, Amazon's making me angry. Well, they're making you angry because you're setting the bar so high for everyone else. (laughs) And uh, I love that about them. So I think that's a good thing. I, I hope you agree. I, I, I think it's a good thing, except that um, I think it will create winners and losers out there in, in, in the market. Um, yeah. So, well, competition, so- I think, is good. And if it sets the bar higher, and this is what people expect, P- companies are going to have to step up and deliver. Let's talk more about that. Plus, you, I actually, when we talked the other day, and I, and by the way, everybody listening, many times I don't have the opportunity to talk to the guests ahead of time, but because we're doing this live stream on November the 10th, I believe, yes, yes November, November the 10th, 10th yep. uh, at, I believe, 1 p.m. Eastern, which is noon central, which is 10 o'clock on the West Coast, and you'll have to figure it out if you're in another part of the world, but you get an idea. We're going to be doing this, and we're going to be talking about this and much more. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and then we'll keep on this. This uh, I love this conversation. It's outstanding. Shep Hyken here. Talk with Daniel Rodriguez is simpler. Don't go away. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So, what are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com. Go there today and order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio, talking to Daniel Rodriguez at Simpler, and we're talking about eradicating mediocrity. Uh, I love the rant, Amazon's making me an angry man, uh, which those are my words, <laughs> not necessarily yours, but pretty close because they're setting the bar higher. And what happens is other companies come in and and now there's the challenge. Are they going to be as good as the best service and experience that our customers have expected? You know, last week when we talked and prepped for our webinar, or actually it's not a webinar. I hate that word, webinar. I don't know how you feel about the word webinar. Three syllables. By the third syllable, I'm falling asleep. (laughs) So we're going to have a great conversation, a virtual event. And uh, we were talking about, what are we going to call it? What are we going to talk? The ways to eradicate. You had a number of different ideas that, you know, we were just bantering around and let's talk about it. Um, 
one of the concepts you had was to stop normalizing deficiencies. You said it exactly like that. And that what happens is leaders get comfortable with the way things are. And um, therefore, it's like, hey, it's okay. Would you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, in many ways, I think that these are, you know, these sentiments that we have are kind of holdovers from just the the general kind of legacy way that we've done things, right? Um, and it's nobody's fault necessarily, but you know, we are um, we have to admit that we are quite influenced by the way the world had been constructed 10, 20 years ago in how we do customer support and customer experience, right? So for instance, um, before the internet, everything was brick and mortar. And we still use the brick and mortar mentality on our own websites, asking people to abide by store hours that we have a sense of there are hours right um hmm. you know and so it, i always it, thought like the, the the online retailer was able to go beyond the boundaries of the store hours but it but we see it time and time again and we did a big mystery shop data we have some great kind of source data we looked at 800 retail companies across a broad swath of different types of uh, types of of retailers, you know, larger retailers. It was it was predominantly on the larger side of of the market, um, and we just saw time and time again the presence of 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 business hours, the inability for companies to get back to people in a certain amount of time. I mean, the average the average amount of time somebody is waiting is over a day to get a response back on an on an email question, a pre sale email question. This is somebody who wants to be your customer. They want to buy something on your site. The idea that that would happen in a retail environment, uh, in a brick and mortar uh, retail environment. Nobody's going to stand around and wait for that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so it's almost like, you know, this is part of the normalization. You know, we, we, we kind of look at the internet at, in the lens of the brick and mortar, right? Our customers, this now customer in particular, they don't even go brick and mortar, especially during the pandemic, right? There is no brick and mortar for them to go to. Mm -hmm, right. So, so they have zero interest and, and baggage in, in kind of thinking about how things were and could have been. And by the way, we also had the data because we asked, we asked people out there, you know, hey, are you giving people a break that it's a pandemic anymore? And we did that, you know, four months into the pandemic, and we're, we're now six months into the pandemic. Um, and four months into the pandemic, the, um, the I will give you a break because I know that the pandemic is hard on your business sentiment was gone. Yeah. It, it, As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote from your stats. 72% said the response time was just as important or more important than before the pandemic. It's, it's like, it's just as important. Uh, in other words, you might've been given a break the first few weeks. By the way, is the data you're talking about in the state of the CX in 2020 report that you have? Yes. Okay. I'm going to make sure that link is in there. Uh, and you just said something that I want to quote a stat from that as well. 28% of brand loyalty waivers, not because of the experience, but because of the bad response time to the experience. Responsiveness is huge. I mean, so another thing, Chef, we talk about what has been normalized. I'll tell you something else that's been normalized. The idea that you can ever have a backlog. 
I think that so many companies. They have a have, consistent backlog. Have it's always 48 hours. With regularity, right? They, I, they, they attempt that regularity. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> attempt to to work around it if they have known seasonality things, right? Well, you know, we know we're going to need to uh, be able to handle a little bit more customer volume around, a, you know, a new product that we're going to put out there on a special day or around the holidays and kind of known days. Um, they attempt to do that. And maybe they still have backlogs at those times. But I mean, when you just kind of think about a backlog, that has been normalized because I will tell you, as a brand, and the data in that reports, you know, you know, really, I think, points this out. You are at extreme risk of losing loyal customers and future customers because those are the people that are shopping with you for the first time and don't stick around right. when you have a backlog because they're gone by the time you answer that backlog. The backlog is a nightmare. And I think that we've normalized the backlog. I think that companies generally think I can have some backlogs sometimes and we are doing good enough. And that to me is a central problem. Good yeah. enough right there. You are resting on a laurel that is a false presumption of loyalty by your customers and future customers. They are taking other actions. And let me talk about a couple of those actions really quick, Shep, because this is also part of the, like, well, what do you mean? Like when people are, when you talk about this below the iceberg, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, how many people out there have multiple tabs open on their computer when they are doing things at any given time, right? Guilty as charged. Right, I have And it's not even many. guilt. When some people shop, this is a this is a type of customer. When some people shop, they shop multi-tab. They have multiple tabs open. When I am on my tab, I am ch trying to chat and get a pre-sale question answered, and there is nobody there, or the bot is running me around in circles. What do I do? I hop over to another tab. I've, there, there are choices. People have choices out there in this world, right? And so they tab jump. And you and that tab, by the way, is a competitor. The, it's a competitor site, and right. they, they make a purchase with them. Now, this person, by the way, which we empirically know exists because sometimes we are this person, they never filled out your customer satisfaction survey. They're not. They there. just moved on. They're not. There. And that was missed revenue. That is a clear missed opportunity, right? And that is one of the deficiencies of this kind of good enough idea, right? That, that, that we have is missed, it's missed revenue. It's just missed, missed dollars. Um, another one is, is that person that uh, doesn't fill out your customer satisfaction survey and has a good enough experience, but there was something that kind of irked them about it. Now, this is not enough for them to go out on social media and post about you and create a PR nightmare. Those are above the water iceberg scenarios. People know who, what those things are, you know, and Peloton is suffering from that in a serious way right now, publicly. And, and they don't, they don't necessarily have to, right? Because it's, things happen with companies, but you, you know, in terms of supply chain and, and product, but you got to right. be able to then deal with some of that volume in ways that, that make people feel understood and validated. So that's another example. You've got somebody there who is well. They're they're not going all the they're not going all the way and and posting on social, but what are they telling their close friends? 
what are what is the text chain that happens with a couple of their friends that when they shop together and buy things together? What do they tell their family when they get together? When people are just you know shooting the breeze, when people are are getting together and talking about something that they bought, whether it was a a big purchase or a smaller purchase, people talk, right? And that negative reverberation that can happen out there. That is a, a, an example of an underneath the iceberg. Someone just hears a name of a brand, they hear an experience that wasn't great, and there's 10, 15 yep. more people out there that, that aren't going to buy with them. Probably more than that. You know, uh, We go back to the original stats and facts commissioned by the White House back in the 1980s uh, with the technical assistant research program that said 96% of customers who have a complaint, don't complain to the company. They just tell all their friends. And that stat hasn't changed much, although companies are doing a little bit better job of trying to gather information about it, especially the ones that we're talking about. If, if anybody is still listening to us uh, at you know almost 23 minutes into our conversation here, it means they're interested enough that they want to do the right thing. Hopefully, they'll join us on November 10th as well. So we're getting close to the end. Any, I mean, I'm going to ask you like, the, and I, I didn't warn you that this happens, but I'm going to ask you the one thing question, the one thing you absolutely want our listeners to know before we end today. But before I ask you that, is there anything else? <laughs> well, there's nothing. There's no, I will say there's nothing else because then you've told me that there is something else. <laughs> So, but I mean, just the things we talked about the other day, you know, accepting mediocrity, you can't just measure ratings. You should also measure behavior. Are your customers coming back? And one of the things we talked about was emphasizing that repeat customers aren't loyal customers. Don't confuse the two. They may be coming to you because eh, it's good enough. But as soon as there's better than good enough, guess what happens to those people that are thinking, that's eh, okay. They're moving on. That's that satisfied customer. I call that the dangerous customer. You don't know they're happy. They didn't complain. They just disappeared. So um, mystery shopping, can you give us a minute on that? Do you suggest mystery shopping your own business? Oh, 100%, right? I mean, it's 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 the equivalent of, of um, you know, for, for me of sitting on, uh, sitting on sales calls, right? Like how, oh, yeah. how do I know how we are actually doing if I don't, mm-hmm. If I if if I don't do that, if I don't get that sense from the customer, we go out and we do these um, we do these three times a year, um, and it's incredibly valuable data for uh, for you know for the market to have. I think generally to kind of get a sense of where things are, individual companies to understand you know hey how am I doing against my own competitive set? I mean to your point, Shep, it's not necessarily true that that is the only competitive set they are being evaluated against because of the perception of the customer. Um, but I think it's 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 very important because otherwise you get anecdotes that float around within a company um, rather than the data that actually supports what is really happening with our customers. Um, so thing, you know, and we we noticed in the report when we put this together and we look at individual company levels, some companies do well at some things and not well at other things. And there are very few companies actually that are kind of like doing well across the board. Mm. And I think that's valuable, right? I think it's really important to know. And I think many, many CX leaders, um, want to know where they are not doing well so that they- Where's your deficiency? For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, nobody is perfect. 
but uh, you can you can try to be. And that's what makes people want to do business with you. All right, we're down to the final question. The one thing, is there one thing you absolutely want this audience to know when we get off this interview today? We didn't exactly talk about this behavior, right? So I'll, I'll drop some new kind of uh, new insight here. Um, okay. But one of the things that, you know, this, this unknown um, pain that the, that a, that a customer is having is that is that they are being deflected, right? And we think of deflection, I think, many times as well. We're just trying to efficiently route them to where it's most cost effective for us. You know, we're deflecting away from phone toward digital, which makes sense right. because it's cheaper to to service. Um, but the idea of deflection, I think, is one that is not customer centric, and in many ways. Um, deflection rather than engagement, <laughs> you know, is is a problem. I think with with the status quo. Um, so I think I would I would challenge people to say um, the now customer that exists out there will they how will they deal with deflection? Being asked mm -hmm. to go to a different channel and interact with with you in a different way. And um, I'm, I'm going to give you a great example. Uh, just the other day, on Friday night, as a matter of fact, we're, we're doing this interview on a Monday. Uh, on a Friday night, three days ago, I downloaded a software program, a music software program to record and mix tracks. And it, it just looked like it was perfect. I have received three emails, three days in a row saying, we don't want to bother you, but we want to make sure that you're happy and that you've tried it out. And if you have any questions, you need to let us know. I, I told them what my question was. They immediately said, great question. Here is a video tutorial on that exact situation. By the way, if you continue to have a problem, email me back and I'll get on the phone with you and talk to you, okay? I think that's the perfect combination. You deflected me, but you gave me the out to come back. Yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Well. We are out of time. I know that you and I can talk forever and ever. I really feel that way. There's so much I, and we will talk more on our virtual event. Once again, November 10th. And if you're listening to this after November 10th, 2020, even sometime a year or two from now, go back to the show notes and you will find the link to the episode where you can hear Daniel and I expanding more on this whole idea of eradicating mediocrity. Well, thank you, Daniel. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. Some great insights, and I really appreciate you sharing those with us. Well, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you come back next week where we will have another amazing interview. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.